I'm like, my my cheeks flush, and I'm holding my head in shame as they're saying, the no-no is this. And I'm like, shit, I'm going to Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Cyber Time and the LBC, our first of 2020, which is awesome. And it's perfect that we have the guests that we have on today. We have Anna and Arturo, not Gus, not Gustavo, not Gusto, but of Gusto Bread. Welcome, you guys. So I don't want to make presumptions, but I feel like clearly there's Arturo's very creative side, which is a little bit more free will kind of freewheeling as well and you seem definitely a little bit more focused is that how maybe no like i'm yeah like you know is that because totally. i i yeah, feel i don't know yeah, yeah like my dude is definitely like my center and i like i call him that now like he he reigns in like my craziness which is all over the place all the time and i rarely execute but then he allows me to execute like is that how you is that how you stepped into his vision or did you let her into your how did this relationship come to be where you guys melded the business is what I want to know. Um when I started baking, I I really enjoyed it and I loved it and I wanted to keep developing like what I was doing and growing that and and I saw like what it could become and but I knew I had become partners with Anna and I really wanted to work with her on the vision too. So I would always like tease her like, Hey, come, come like, let's get this bakery going. <laughs> you knew you couldn't do it without her. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't Basically. do it. Like, exactly right. Yeah, totally. That was full admission was like, right there. That's know. awesome. Yeah, this like, isn't going to happen beyond this unless someone's helping. Yeah. Or anything like, come help me chop these apples. Like anything like, get right. cause I know she also has like food background. She's, right. So she's really talented too. And what's your like, food background? I mean, um, <laughs> Stuffing my face with carbs <laughs> since I could, you know, reach my hand to my mouth. The best much. experience but, um, ever. That, that I love food since a, since a young kid would try anything. Kind of just always loved food. And really just in college, I, I got a job at the cafeteria at the university. But I worked in the salad department and it was run by this Thai woman who like everyone feared her. Like nobody wanted to work with her. But my roommate worked with her and was like, the salad department is great. The shifts are really because early, of this Thai woman. <laughs> and because of this Thai woman, her name was Dang, and she was she was amazing, and she basically ran like a boot camp in the salad department, and that's why nobody wanted to work there because she was very strict in the cafeteria. In the cafeteria at, at UCSB. At UCSB. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. But she loved her for taking it so seriously. Yeah, Dang is amazing. Um, she and so she taught me knife skills. Like it, it was it wasn't like a serious kitchen, but she treated it like we had to be really impeccable in a way that wasn't expected in the other department. Hell yeah. And so that alone taught, I wasn't even cooking at home for myself. You know, I was like, not even, yeah, not even in that yet. But just from those like knife skills that I learned, it's kind of like made everything easier from there on out. You know, whenever I want to make food or then teaching myself to make food or then jumping into the stuff that he wants to do, I'm like, I know how to keep a tidy workspace, you know, and I, I know how to operate in a kitchen, basically, and in a way that keeps things um, moving and orderly, and that's useful. Absolutely. Well, and with your history with bread, like, I feel like I share something with Sarah and that we are Italian, and Italians have this, like... I don't know what you're trying to say. I don't know what relationship we have with bread. um, No, not with bread, (laughs) with food. And I've always... I've always shared that with Mexican families. I feel like they're kind of a, a... a different hemispherical mirror of of Italy in the sense that like their families are always built around this idea of food and the table. But bread 
how did you get involved in bread? Because bread is so, I don't want to say scientific because that, that diminishes it. It's not, it's an art, but like, it's so specific. How did you, how did you even as get involved? As opposed to like, I see what you're saying. Like, as opposed to like how like my grandma makes her sauce, which you know is what, like yeah, a pinch of this, like, a pinch of that. Which is like, you know, Mexican, you ask for a recipe yeah. and they look at you like, well, it's just this. Yeah, and Mexican like, food's the same way. Right? same way. Yeah. Like, but with bread, it's kind of the antithesis of the whole idea of like free, freewheeling. Or feeling it out. Yeah, feeling it out. <laughs> I think, I think bread can be like that. And I think I approached it like that. And a lot of people forget that. And, you know, like people associate bread with like French baguettes and croissants, all this elaborate European stuff. But really, it's from the Fertile Crescent wheat, you know, and it, like pita breads, elegant. You don't have to think much about that. Like you just make some dough, blend it out, put it in the oven, fire, you, boom, you have this amazing bread, right? So I think I, I saw that, like the ancient primalness of turning grain into this beautiful this food. Thing. And, I, and I think... That's how I got into baking is with fire and like an earthen oven. And I think that and kind of uh, led my curiosity with bread. And so I didn't approach it so much like the scientific. Of course, I, I read books, but I was more intuitive with it and, and learning the science behind it and all those like meticulous things. But also trying to just work with like fire and like, like yeah, just. Sounds primal. Into, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does. Elements, I guess, yeah. Because you even still like. Even though he's not, you know, using a wood-fired oven and doesn't have those elements to play with, there's still temperature and humidity that you have to deal with on a regular basis. There's still uh, the flour might change from batch to batch, from bag to bag, and um, and that totally changes your recipe. So you have to be intuitive. Like there has to be that component where you, yeah, you just have to know how to read the dough and. Um, so it's a combination, but there's a feel for it. Oh, when you first started baking, you were still a musician at the time. Because yes. that's like nobody, talk, yeah. right? People don't really talk to you about that part of yeah. your. <laughs> he, was, he was working yeah. at Lord Windsor and at an on my, <laughs> and yeah. on his day off, it was like Wednesdays are my day off, and I'm just gonna chop wood and make bread all day. Yeah. Chop wood and make bread back to the mountains almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was my way of connecting, like slowing down. It was my day off, mm -hmm. and it was like a hobby and just like a fun thing to do, you know, at my, in my backyard on Wednesdays. And could you have and an then oven? Go you have play an oven with back the band there? later. Uh, yeah, we had an oven. We lived. Uh, at this property, like on Six and Daisy, and that's where this oven was. Uh, so. You actually were cooking like with fire in a wood, uh, yeah. in a in a stone oven. That's yeah. how you learned. That's amazing. Had we amazing. not moved to that property, I, I wouldn't be baking today. Probably wouldn't have been interested. Probably in bread, and you know, it just that sparked it. Is like moving to that property, mm -hmm. seeing this earthen oven, and just like bringing wood from my hometown and chopping and getting a fire going. Like and a book, kind of like my neighbor handed me this like wood fired baking book and it just all like kind of fell in my in my hands you know and I said well and I definitely don't want to play too much on the stereotype that I just used about like baking and bread making being this kind of cold calculated endeavor um I don't know if anyone who's listening remembers uh I know because I, I it was one of the many jobs I had in Long Beach there was a bakery where uh now uh, a rise bistro and then sweet Dixie kitchen was called shortening bread and I worked there, and she was an absolute master with baking and this, like, calculations with tempering chocolate and all these things that I had never learned or, you know, seen before. But on the opposite side, there was this really visceral aspect to it where it was her. Like, it's 
I felt like she she specifically created these things like out of her and it, even though when it was presented it looks hyper calculated and perfect cuz she created these like salted caramel tarts that were just they looked perfect they looked like sculptures but there was this like visceral aspect and I really want people to begin to look at baking I was just telling Sarah I was looking at like recipes and I felt like overwhelmed with these baking recipes and I was like oh Sarah like I just want to bake a cake <laughs> I just want to make a cake when they're written but, out it's pretty crazy like I mean that is the intuitive yeah. part because if you just read all of the instructions in the order that you're supposed to do everything in it can feel like it's maybe it feels like that to people that don't do it every day it feels like it's a little more regimented yeah, than it is yeah there's an ideology I think that you have to understand right. there's a worldview in it yeah and you can only understand that from consistency it's one of those things just like playing an instrument like you have to put in the time, you have to put in the hours, you have to learn that instrument and then you can freestyle and then you can kind of like learn to play yeah. it. But especially with, with cakes, it's probably different than bread, but with bread, he, he found that place in it. And that's why, you know, for him, it became like this whole, this whole business and a calling because it's just like, he found his groove in it and was like, Oh, I know how to play this, you know? And I, and I can, I can relate to it and people that love it, other people that love to make it and all these cultures. And it's, and it's like, I feel it's my duty to bring that to Long Beach or it feels really good to bring that to Long Beach. And then also because right now in bread, if you're looking at it, like, I don't know, you probably know more, but West Coast bread, there's there's these like um, bread bros, basically, like people that do take it really seriously and very scientific and like get um, get. Uh, Bread bros. No, these are like Silicon Valley guys that. um Oh, the other bros. They've been called out in the in the bread industry, yeah, because basically they're just like focusing too much on stuff that that's maybe not the meaningful part of it, right. or just like oh, getting that crumb shot, you know what I mean? And it, it can get very broy like that. Um, so so the our approach bowls. is kind of like something rustic is beautiful, something that's imperfect can still taste amazing and still has a lot of value because of the care that was put into it and the ingredients that go into it. And let's value things like that rather than just like making everything picture perfect or making it seem like it's something unattainable that only somebody with a certain um, background can do. It's not that it's like, if you put in the time, then you can do it too. You just have to care. And we don't all care about the same things. And that's, what's beautiful is like one person can care a lot about bread and bring you really good bread. And that's all like a community needs. I was going to say, you might be speaking to like, the generation below us because what I've been we're like media geeks you know so we're constantly trying to like learn like how do we get younger people to read news and one of the fascinating things that I've discovered is that this younger generation hates curating and so like all the Instagrams and stuff that are becoming popular with super young people are the kind of gritty very like Microsoft Word 95, like, you know, Publisher 97, literally type look where it's not curated. They don't want that like hyper stylized where everything looks perfect yeah, on your it's page because it's not real. Like, so it's, I think you're kind of yeah. totally yeah. hyper realistic yes. stuff. Yeah, you're right. Well, and what you were saying about uh, showing that other people can do it, it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, you did, our, our, our managing editor took a class, one of your bread making classes. You're, you're the first person that I've seen that's successful and is literally like, here is my actual recipe for success. <laughs> like, these are my recipes. Like, can you speak a little bit about that? Like, why is that important to you to share the knowledge? I mean, it seems to work detrimental to your business in some way. If people could make your bread, why would they buy it? So, <laughs> you know what? I think that's when, why did that start? That started even back when I had this wood oven and and I think people were just like 
like I had a bunch of friends that are like, man, I want to come help you. And I was like, well, I'll just teach a workshop or something. And I think that was like the first workshop I taught back in like 2014 or something. And I really enjoyed it, like just showing people like what I did in my day to make this bread. And and like, you know, I Anna, of course, helped me type up like everything, <laughs> like the steps and everything. And we made this beautiful make like illustration zine. and yeah. this little zine. And like everyone walked away with this and, and I enjoyed it. So when, when we were moving to this other house we're at now to start Gusto Bread, I was like, yeah, let's continue workshops and let's like, I think it was just like showing people like how, what it takes to make bread, like. And it's really the patience, you know, like, and it's really the time. And that's what I find in the workshops is like, there'll be people who will come and just be like, yeah, that's way too much time for me to spend on something, you know? And, and there's people who are just like, I'll see them a month later at, at, at a farmer's market. And they're like, like, man, I've been like, I've been doing this to my bread and this and this. And like, they're just totally they in it. it. Yeah, yeah, they got it. They're working on it. And, and even time. still like. We teach you how to make a loaf of bread. And and if you can master that on your own, like go for it. That's that's amazing. And what better than to make your own bread and like enjoy that, you know, warm loaf. Um, but then there's all these other things that we do that so far we we haven't created workshops around. I mean, it would be great to, to teach people like that people want to know how to make a baguette. But some of those things do require other equipment. And so the bread is like the most accessible thing that somebody can still make at home, you know, with a Dutch oven. And it's more like... They just really have to put in the time. So out of 10 people that do the workshop, maybe one person, maybe 0.5 people like out of 10, you know, it's, it's not everybody that has that passion and like that commitment, like but it's more people are curious about it. Yeah. I mean, that's like basically my drop rate in my news writing class, <laughs> like is like, cause you show everybody that this takes work. Oh, you can't Google this. Like, I mean, you could, but you're not going to get to the end result. You actually have to go out and like talk to people face to face. Oh, it's talking to people. It's the same thing. What do you mean? I have to wait. What do you mean? There's not a shortcut. I'm sure people are asking. How do I hmm. know when the starter's ready or how do I, you, you know, and it's know. just kind of like, oh yeah, you're going to have to learn you, it but on you know, your own. I think my bacon has evolved from that original recipe that I sh teach people in class. But I like empowering people. Like, that's literally where I started. Like, this is what I did for three years. And I give people that recipe. Well, and I think I it walk through it with them. I think it garners respect. Like, I actually think it's, like, one of those kind of, like, counterintuitive smart business moves where, like, yeah, you're you're opening people up. It's like, here's my recipe. Like, go for it, dude. You know, like, I kind of, I mean, it's almost kind of playful because it's, like, yeah. good luck. And like, the other nine you know, people like, are going to come back and buy it. I spent years perfecting this. Like, go, try. Like, and then see how many times you're redoing it and shit and redoing it again and crap and redoing it again yeah oh, totally. Yeah. and like yeah like because again it takes the time to get to the shaping of the bread and feeling though and being intuitive about it even changing up your flowers like getting making things interesting and changing the water and you don't just learn and, it from doing it one time and you I have think, to do like it you're, 50 you're right times. that's why i think right. I, I i teach it to empower someone and then if they really get into it and they really stick with it they they can like do whatever they want with the bread and, and evolve their craft and and I just I have someone else to geek out with about bread, you know. Yeah, like do, does really it just to get more friends for you <laughs> that, that can relate. It was like literally hundreds of recipes. I think Nancy Silverton before she got her first normal loaf, let alone everything she's created afterwards with La Brea. But like, yeah, it took in hundreds and thousands of times of just trying. And there was a great documentary, and it's what made my respect for like baking just in general kind of skyrocket and it showed her notes and some of them were literally the the difference was like a quarter cup of water or a change in the temperature of water and that was the sole difference and then yeah it's i don't know i think it's, it's deeply beautiful <laughs> yeah 
I wonder if that's the reason why there's been sort of a, I don't know, a resurgence in baking. I mean, are, right? I don't know what to call it, a, tr- a baking trend, I guess. And you kind of said when you started, there wasn't a lot going on in Long Beach. But I mean, how many are there now? There's a lot of, I mean, especially the farmer's markets, but even the merchant. And so we have at least half a dozen bakeries in Long Beach now um, that you're competing with. I wonder if maybe that's like a response to... Like you said, it requires so much patience that there's just a certain type of person now that craves that sort of solitude or that that quiet time in a way. Like as the world gets more chaotic, you know, for every reaction, there's an opposite reaction. Like as yeah. the world gets crazier, there's people that that are more and more wanting to do something like baking because it's so time consuming and patient and you need that patience. It's like yeah. a way to practice patience. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's definitely world part doesn't of like reward it. <laughs> the slow food movement overall. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a component of it. And I think it's also that Americans are learning what to do with the raw ingredient of bread. Like people don't know to this, you know, to this day or us being at the market, even though there are other people doing this kind of bread, it's, it's still new to folks and they don't have a knife that will cut through that crust, you know, and they have to go and get a knife that will cut through that crust kind of thing. Um, and we, I mean, we'll try to pre-slice things, but we don't take it to the market pre-sliced or anything. So, um, you really have to deal with this, this raw ingredient (laughs) and how are you going to do it? How are you going to use it? How are you going to get into it? What, What are you going to serve it with? Um, when it goes stale, what are you going to do with it? And all of that is like, I think, um, yeah, for some reason in America, that's new. In other countries, it's it's like, you know, as old as time. But but here it's new. And so I think that's also the market is like originating also. There's like, a learning it's meeting curve. us. Yeah, the, it's meeting the creators because um, it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Or, oh, I've, oh, yeah, San Francisco has had this culture for many years now. And so maybe they, they're familiar with it in San Francisco or in, from the East Coast. And they're like willing to give it a, give it a try, especially now that they can get it on a, on a regular basis. How do you bust through that learning curve? Like it, it, it's one of my biggest frustrations with my own culture, American culture. The idea that someone's not even slightly disturbed by how quick a meal comes to them let alone comprehends what a normal meal takes to prepare. Like, how do you, how do you even begin to approach that learning curve? I, I can only figure out to do it through my articles, but like as a maker, it has to be totally different. Like that. Yeah. Like I'm, I think I'm with class. Sarah where I'm like, Oh yeah. Like a bread knife. Like I've always had a bread knife, but I grew up with whole loaf bread. So like we always had to have a bread knife to cut through it by I don't think the majority of Americans even own a bread knife. They don't. No, there's people that straight up don't have a serrated knife in their house. And so, because I'm like, oh, just a knife with, with teeth on it. Nope, they don't have that. So um, so then it's like, for me, I'm like, I don't I don't know, go get a bread knife. Like, <laughs> you kinda, you've got to have a bread knife in your house. Like, it'll serve so many purposes. But um, I think part of that, and that's kind of also part of this organic growth or, or yeah, the organic evolution of the business and, and our place in, in the city has been that from the beginning, actually, when Arturo was baking in the Cobb oven, we've been friends with Kat and Angie for years at WEOP. And they they told Arturo, like, whenever you're ready to sell these loaves to us, like, we, we can't want wait. them. <laughs> yeah, we can't wait. Let us know. And so as soon as we got the permit, like, you're ready to do business, we're like, all right. And we just started selling. WEOP was our first wholesale customer. And they're, they're still to this day. and that's kind of how you get it into people's like that's that's how still 
we get a lot of customers that are like, I had your bread at We Up. It's so good. And we're like, well, yeah, they're masters. Like oh, yeah, <laughs> the way they grill that perfect. bread, it's like custard. And so um, every time. Yeah. And so that converts and a lot of people. And the ricotta jam toast exactly. at We Up, y'all. Oh, my God. But that's it's true. It's Republic level, like straight up. Like I haven't had that good of bread since the first time I went to Republic in L.A. Like. And it well, was that's why they do it justice, well. you know? And so because of that, it makes it so that somebody's like, oh, okay, I can eat this, you know, get a get a slice and eat it with jam and toast or whatever it is. I mean, even though that seems very simple, it just, it helps people be like, oh, that was good. I want more of that. Oh, I'm going to go to the baker. I'm going to buy the bread from them and then I'll figure it out. That's true. Selling it to like the people, to the middle people and let the, some let them do some of the education for you too. Let education them and show even the, purpose. the creativity. Yeah. yeah. They, they kind of, you know, well, yeah, a lot of it's toast and there's a lot of fancy toast everywhere, but, um, but you know, there's more to do with it. And even the things people do with stale bread get, can get really interesting. What's an example? So, Cause I had never thought about that. I'm uh, about what pudding, do you do with it? Bread pudding. Um, at we up. They've also done. I think it's called strata, which is like strata, a savory that, yeah. bread pudding. Italian, yeah. yeah. So it's like a savory bread pudding, and then sweet bread pudding, and obviously French toast and romesco. bread crumbs and romesco. You can thicken Spanish sauces fi- and soups. Fisherman with it. sauce. The idea is because I know when I first when I first met you, I said I'm sorry I don't buy bread because I live alone and a whole loaf is just going to go stale in my house. And I do have a bread knife, but I yeah. But so, so there's other barriers to entry. Too. Too. Sometimes, sometimes our solitary, you know, lifestyles or whatever, we're cooking for that one too. or, or low, car, you know, people are on low carb diets or we're not supposed to yep. eat carbs. I'm sure you're battling against, <laughs> against that, trying to explain that like not all carbs are bad or these are, these might be good ones. And, but I definitely watch my carbs when I eat at home. Like I just do tortillas. That's like the only carbs in my house. So my barrier to, to even coming into having a use for bread, yeah. but it allows me to support you when you're in other restaurants and I know that they support you and I'm like, oh good, I'm going to go there. Cause yeah. Their well, bread is actually well. Tell, tell me if this is a big faux pas. Um, I mean, I grew up poor, so my mom would was a master at freezing breads, and there is a technique to it, at least from what I grew up, and then reheating them. But I would never know the difference sometimes between her pulling out a frozen loaf and redoing it for whatever sandwiches. And so, is that okay for people to do? I don't want to like. Right? It's okay, right? It's okay to freeze bread. This is like, where we get to ask the dumb, the dumb bread question. No, yeah, please no. freeze it. Yeah. yeah. That's, like, that's, it, don't let it go to waste. Do Just freeze oh, totally. it. And, yes. like, there's techniques to, like, reheating it, right. and it will be exactly – What's the best exactly, way to – So how do you well, suggest we reheating people, it? Like, in Sarah's situation where they're like, oh, it's just me. Do you have a half loaf? And we don't sell half loaves. And so – it's like, no, but <laughs> when you get home, slice it in half and freeze half of it or put it in, portion it already, cut it into slices and freeze those slices or whatever it is. We have people that come and buy four loaves at a time for the purpose of freezing them because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm in Downey. I'm just going to come down once a month and I'm just going to buy four loaves and freeze them. So it's actually the, the, the no-no is putting it in the fridge, if anything. Like people think that they're just putting in the fridge is going to prolong well, the life help. and it just totally changes the bread. It's not. It's not meant for a fridge, but with the freezer, you're just kind of like stopping time. I have like a mini baguette in my fridge right now. I'm going to go home and take it out. <laughs> it's not so. going to be very good. <laughs> nope. I mean, it was like a Ralph's 50 cent baguette, so it wasn't very good anyway, but <laughs> right there you go. <laughs> I'm like, my my cheeks flush and I'm holding my head in shame as they're saying, the no-no is this. And I'm like, shit, I'm going to oh, go, no. go home and I take it ask. out. Like, I didn't even know if it was a faux pas to freeze, but like, no. I, I grew up on it. My mom was just like... A, 
I'm telling you, a master at it. And like, we'll just brush out. I'm like, you went to the market. She's like, no, boo, that was that was two week old bread. I'm like, yes. So how many how many accounts are you in now? Like, how much holes? Like, uh, as far as restaurants and stuff, like in Long Beach. I haven't counted up, but we could try to name a few. Like, there's a shout a, out. Yeah, give all the shout outs. Like, where can people go find it? Well, so first of all, you're at the farmers markets. Uh, farmers market. Like three a week now. How many? Two. Two. Tuesdays okay. And Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Shout out to Amatoli. Yeah, yeah Amatoli. Uh, Wide Eyes Open Palms. Wide Eyes Open Palms. James Republic. James Republic. They've been great supporters since since like early on too. One of their sous chefs at the time, um, when when like early on when we started, um, ate at Weop and was like, "I want your bread." Like he's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to serve that at, at James Republic, and it's yeah. And so th- every chef since then has like been like new dishes with it every time. So it's a fun and exciting place to. <laughs> Rose Park eat. Roasters. Rose Park Roasters. Row, seafood. Um, the Hideaway. Oh, all of Chef yeah, Art's stuff. Hey, yeah, Chef yeah. Art. He's a supporter. Yeah. Berlin Bistro. And Russellbach. Russellbach, yeah. And, oh, that's and cool. Bixby Knowles, yeah. yeah. They, oh, they serve it with it liverwurst. So are you just baking? Oh, I, I, all the time. I'm sorry. I'm just yes. like counting these numbers in my head. And I'm like. Plus how, farmer's markets how? two days a week. Yeah. So yeah. We, we bake for wholesale two days a week where it's just like just wholesale just, and so um yeah and it's and not that's like, just like a full day never right like you wake up early in the morning and then yeah we're baking from like four to like 10 a.m like six hours baking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just batches and batches and batches yeah yeah, yeah. crazy little vice sorry oh, yeah, I, i'll vice. feel terrible if oh, we forget vice. people yeah. <laughs> just little so just so people what are they using your bread for just curious so little vice um i don't know how they found us i think just online searching us and and well, with, with the great thing about all of these people is that these are people who have cared like to use our bread. We, you know, we weren't like out there marketing our bread like oh, it, yeah. right. Ser- people just have come to us and we're really grateful. These are like the chefs and the hands that wanted to work with our bread and just just like Little Vice, they reached out to us before they opened. We're like, yo, we want to like, can you help us create some bread for like our, our tortas or something? So at that time, I was messing around with uh, ciabatta style of bread, um, but I'm, I'm calling it pantufla. Because ciabatta means like a slipper and pantufla is slipper. So there you go. I just re- kind of recreated it. I, I added got cornmeal. Have you tried like a traditional bolillo? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you make more than just loaves. Like you, you kind of yes. mentioned yes. that. Yeah. I, mean, I know I've yeah. had your sweets to the galettes and your uh, cookies and stuff as well. What else do you make? Like what do you sell at the farmer's markets? If people Naturally leavened baguettes too, which is kind of a revelation for folks that haven't had like a, a crusty and like chewy baguette. It's not like an airy baguette. Well, anyway, yeah, baguettes are like yeah, baguettes are cool. Very modern bread. They're like they came about with like commercial yeast, like early 1900s, and these steam injected ovens. So like before the 1900s, baguettes were not really a thing. You know, it was like these rustic large loaves and like um, and other breads, you know, throughout the world. But in, in speaking in France, really, like it kind of came about with this commercial yeast and like really modernized bread and fast production, white flour. You know, kind of like what you see now, like a lot of the grocery stores, and mm-hmm. it stills the next day. The Wonder Bread of 1900 yeah, or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> but um, when, and not a lot of bakers have practiced making them with wild yeast. That's what she meant, naturally mm-hmm. leaven, is when you work with wild yeast. And wild yeast already has uh, bacteria and and the wild yeast, which preserves the bread longer. And so a baguette will last you two, three days, you know, when you make it this way. And it's chewier by nature, you know, by the... I just had a thought that baguettes are kind of like the loggers. It's like the baguette revolution was like the logger revolution, like came around with the advent of refrigeration and commercial yeasts right. and all that. And so what happens when you like, next, what, what happens when you spontaneously ferment beer, you get the sourness, you get all the Im- impurities, quote unquote, but the nuance of like really great flavored sour beer. And I'm sure, yeah. So what you're saying, 
I think it comes across. Yeah, I, w- I could create an equivalent in yes. my head of yeah. like, every- I just relate everything to beer. It's kind yeah. of fermented beer anyway. That's a, yeah, there's so many similarities. What would you say that you all offer? That's Because now there are other, not that you're even in competition with these other bakeries, but there are other bakeries that are around in Long Beach that other people might see. You know, what do you see or uh, where do you see yourself kind of standing in that in that field? Um, and are you friends with the other bakers? You t- you guys communicate now? Is there like a little crew of like Long Beach bakers or? So like a or, secret society? Yeah. Or are you fighting? <laughs> we like, can't talk about it. Yeah. Or is it like the, um, <laughs> the Jets and the Sharks and you're fighting? <laughs> um, I think what sets us apart is kind of just being led by Arturo's intuition and, and his inspiration and like what interests him in bread. And so there's not really like, he doesn't have anything to prove. He doesn't come from a certain background and it's more just like what's interesting. Um, so we can explore European breads or Middle Eastern breads or Mexican breads, you know, or an Argentine breads or whatever it is. Um, it's just basically wherever our creativity takes us. And that's, you know, thanks to the public that really receives it with open arms. And so we're, we're wanting to explore more um, Mexican pastries too. Like we have those as specials sometimes, but we want to do more of that and offer them, you know, with really great ingredients that it's just something that you can't really find out there right now. So kind of wedding this, yeah, mm-hmm. this this new um, high quality kind of food with uh, tradition and, and heritage from, from Mexico and, and other places. And then I think just the fact that everything's pretty rustic and uh, sometimes like we and, and we're not trying to do. Um, yeah, I think just that that kind of like that unique perspective that we're not looking to what other people are doing. We're just kind of like literally just asking ourselves, what do we want to eat? What do we want to make? And that's what we that's what we put out there. So people may come to us and like expect a croissant and we don't we don't have that. And we're we're OK with that because if somebody else is doing a good croissant, then we don't feel like we need to. Yeah, everybody kind of does different things. And so you can, co- you can go to everybody for something different. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the I think the, the beauty of it, just like um, in the coffee scene, you know, it might be like where you're located, where you're going to go, but it also could be like just what your taste is. And, and that can be how you decide to, to patron someone or I mean, or that we have people that are fans of like one product and then they might completely hate another. And that's fine, too. I think sourcing, though, too, is like mm-hmm. the way we source is pretty unique. Like we support our local mill, Grisintol. Mm-hmm. So they're in Pasadena and they source regional grain, but also pretty local like there's stuff that's grown in pomona i think that they'll source and like these oh, grains cool. and they'll mill them fresh and they're stone mill and they're beautifully milled like i have a little stone mill at home but i don't even use it anymore because it's just like a toy when i compare it to their flour it's like what they're milling fresh and it's like such beautiful flour and it performs great and i don't know a lot of bakers that actually use them here locally or actually using local grains because yeah, it is hard to it's hard to source from those. I know that there's very limited number of farms, and then yes. it's hard to source from those. Even talking oh, yeah. to to beer and spirits makers who want to utilize right. grain local grains, and they're super expensive, mm-hmm. and so you yeah. just can't. There's not a like there's not even like enough to go around, but. Right. But bakers have been like leading the revolution, especially through Grist and Toll, like in L.A. anyway, because we were a few years behind L.A. Yes. as we tend to be on some things. But I remember that it was the bakers that were really leading a lot of the heirloom grain revo- like re- uh, revolutions, like bringing them back, bringing back Sonora wheat, which was like a native wheat that was grown out in the valley, like where I grew up, the San yeah. Fernando Valley, used yeah. to be all those wheat fields. It was the first um, wheat that the Spanish planted in Me- Mexico. Oh, really? In Sonora, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's why it's called Sonora. The original wheat, yeah. 
<laughs> That's why we have bread here in America because of that. Because of that grain. Oh wow! Specifically because of that one. Mm -hmm. Well, but it wasn't being grown. It, maybe it went out of fashion or something yeah. when, when the baguettes took over. I don't know. <laughs> but like, it's a new thing that that wheat is being grown again, right? Yeah, it reemerged yeah. re because people held on to that seed, like. And that's why flour tortillas became into existence because of that being planted in the Sonoran Desert. And yeah, again, it's, it was like that, that's the original wheat that came from Spain. So it's the bakers that are really going back into our history. And, and like you even said, sort of that, those primal times and uh, when you were living off the land and, and that grains are like the first thing that we, that we domesticated that kept us rooted in a place, right? We stopped being nomadic because of that. Yeah. Well, and that's why then there's so many roles within like bread making or what we're doing. We're just at the tail end of it. But there's the miller and the miller, the millers are like coming back into existence at the same time that the bakers are. It's like it creates mm -hmm. jobs for millers and people totally. to specialize in how to, you know, how to work a mill and how to do it professionally. Like he was saying, like you can't just do it in a little just because you have a device, just because you have a bread maker doesn't mean you're a baker. Right. And just because you have a stone mill doesn't mean that you're a miller. And then also the millers are supporting the farmers and the farmers are from that support. They're able to try, you know, take a risk on a new grain or like we know a farmer in California that she doesn't use irrigation. She just, you know, produces what the what the land can produce. And it's just people doing really revolutionary things at each stage. And and yeah, hopefully we can harness some of that and share that with the community, you know, as as but. It's, it's amazing. I think, yeah, I think I see a lot of people, a lot of bakers these days wanting to mill themselves and then they want, they're kind of cutting out that miller. But I have a lot of respect for millers. Like when, again, when I have like Christian Tolls flour, I haven't had anything that compares to it, like that I can produce or even if I got like, I spent thousands of dollars, the time and energy that none from uh, Christian Tolls has spent to mm -hmm. do what she's doing is just incredible work, you know? Yeah, it's like investing and, in your in your ecosystem and, yeah. and, and trusting those farther down the line. I mean, coffee is totally that way too. We were talking to Lord Windsor, we were talking about that. You just have to, what are they, it's like uh, produce, like making a movie where there's just so many moving parts, there's so many people involved uh, all at every single step and everyone has to be on point in order for that end product to right. be good. Yeah, Everyone from the barista all the way back to the farmer, of course, and the, the dryer, the roaster, the the transporter, the uh, distributor, all that kind of stuff. Everything. And and that's why like people rediscovering bread for themselves and taking it home, like that's l allowing all of that to happen in the economy, which is pretty wild. It's an economic multiplier for yeah, sure. It's like a resurgence because of that. So I have this like looming thought in my head and, and forgive me, I have like a little bit of an explanation beforehand. I was watching David Chang's food documentary series on Netflix and uh, he did this series on pizza and there's there's Naples, which has this crazy pizza federation, right? Where it's it's only you know Neapolitan pizza if it uses this type of flour and this type of thing. And this Japanese guy uh, went to Italy and fell in love with this pizza, and then was going back to Japan and was trying to recreate this pizza, and he just couldn't, and it was so frustrating for him. And he was like, "And I was getting my flour shipped. I was following all the guidelines that this pizza federation had put forth for me." And then I was like, "Wait." I'm getting my flour shipped. Like, why don't I just try to experiment with Japanese flour? So he starts to like slowly start incorporating his interpretation of Italian ingredients from Japanese topography. So was started using Japanese flour and then started using Japanese cows for the milk to make his mozzarella. And like, and then he realized he was making a better pizza. 
I feel like bakers do that, right? Yes. Like you guys, like when you were talking about French, French bread, Argentine bread, Mexican bread, like it's all these unique ecosystems that I don't think could possibly be replicated elsewhere. And so what I was wondering in my head is like, you realize that, right? So like when you think about making like an Argentine bread, it's not about mimicking what's in Argentina. It's more about like, how can I do that within my own ecosystem, right? Like, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like uh, one another example is like, there's a thing, you know, birote, are you familiar with birote? It's kind of like a, it's essentially like a bolillo, bread of Mexico, Guadalajara, that they do the torta ahogada mm-hmm. with. But it's like but in it's between like, a telera and a Yeah, but it's kinda. actually like the sourdough bread of Mexico. Oh. That's a, like, it's it's a sourdough bread of Mexico. Not a lot of breads are like that. and everything. Yes, yeah, starter, beer, lime, <laughs> eggs. Like, it's crazy. Typical. Yeah. Um, so it's this really awesome <laughs> bread. Um, and... Like a lot of people that have tortas logadas in, in LA sometimes will get the bread shipped from Guadalajara to Tijuana and then go to Tijuana to pick it up and then go serve it in their LA shops. And and I get it. Like they want that, you know, that like they oh, want that authentic. Yeah, Chef Benuelos of Balam and now of Padre does that. He literally has a person drive to the border every day to meet at Tijuana to deliver these bolillos from Guadalajara. Down. Yeah. And, I, and I get it. Like I can't recreate that. But I can do our version of that. And I think sometimes it takes the other person to open their mind a little bit and kind of be ready to just experience something different and of of our terroir, you know, of our area, like what represents this agriculture and this. And so, you know, you, you can't get too caught up on like, oh, I, well, in Italy it was like this. Or well, because then it's like Mexico that Japanese like this, guy, you know? like if he's getting the stuff fresh, he maybe he realized that the freshness was the thing that mattered most, you know. Um, and that's kind of the Absolutely. same thing with bread. It's it's a fresh ingredient. Like you have to eat it <laughs> when it's made. And if not, it suffers. So really that bread that you're getting from far away, it, it may or may not be the same, you know. Um, and it's just a matter of like holding traditions dear to your heart because like, yes, there's a lot of love and there's a lot of history but behind things. But not being obsessed with authenticity. Yeah. Because you won't mimic it. You won't. And it doesn't exist. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. ultimately, <laughs> right. like, tradition is always changing. Food's always changing. And the best thing we can do as makers and as business owners is, like, speak to our times. And so it's like, right now, there's a grain revolution. So let's, let's you know, Harness show it. people, yeah, exactly what grains actually taste like. Not in the 1970s way where you have to eat whole grains, you know, and non-fat stuff or whatever. It's not like about nutrition. It's actually about the flavor of things. Like it can still be a foodie thing and be healthy at the same time and speak to tradition. Like it's a melding of all those things and that's and comforting. So it's really beautiful in that bread can be a vehicle for that if we just kind of allow ourselves to be playful about it and and creative and um yeah, just try new things. And that's kind of what what uh, Little Vice did with the torta is just kind of like, yeah, let's kind of blow that up and not go with a traditional bread. Um, and it's been great. Um, and and we try to do that, too. And, and what we do is kind of like, OK, well, this is the tradition and these are the grains that we have and these are the flavors that we're looking for. So let's just kind of do it our own way. And like I said, people have been excited about that. Well, we want to take the opportunity to share where our bakery will be. Ooh, share it. Well, you told me retro. You told me retro rowish. We've been area. telling everybody retro rowish. Okay, area so we where specifically? So we'll be opening sometime this year. Um, the spot is actually right next to Restoration. It's um, the storefront that used to be California Drifters. Um, they've they've moved out, and so now that's all getting 
uh, redone and ready to bake out of there. Goosefied. So, yeah. So so yeah, we're in a in a great little pocket of retro row um, with Paige against that the machine is right, right there. Um, ridiculously awesome. Yeah. I was not expecting anything right in that area like yeah. that. In that I know area. we were thinking of taking bets or like having people have fun with it because we've we've been hearing some wild guesses and so we're like, <laughs> we'll see. We'll or see. people just saying they heard like I heard on the west side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People had all sorts of ideas. That's why we said like retro row is kind of you know a way to place it more or less in in a general area. And we already do markets around there, so it's just perfect for. For our audience yeah, and everything, what a like great yeah. central location too for everything. That's you do. why it was like, amazing that 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 just was was offered to us because we weren't even going to look in that area. We just figured, oh, we're going to be priced out, and um, you know, it's hard to know with Long Beach these days, like what is the the right risk to take with a business, especially like we're we're new, we're we're learning, you know, as we go, and so yeah. Well, so since we've been off for a full month and we've had like basically the holidays and New Year and everything, um, instead of we usually do like, what have you eaten in the last week? Like, what do you recommend? But like, we can shout it out for the month. Like, did you have any good holiday meals? What do you do? You even do you bake for your families during the holidays, or yeah, do you, you take the you time off? I always love asking like people who do food for a living. <laughs> are you the one who everyone in your family puts food on? Because I know I am. Like, I am the one who has to bust out of my whole family. No, I have so many cooks in my family, but. <laughs> But um, at home, no, me and Anna kind of switch roles. Like sometimes yeah. she's got it, sometimes I got it. So yeah, yeah we, we kind of, we switch roles. But um, uh, my mom brought this chile verde that she made. We oh, were eating that for amazing. like three days straight. It was yeah. amazing. She just brought it or this was like for the she holidays? She just brought it in a Ziploc bag. It was amazing. It was frozen in a Ziploc bag when she came <laughs> She's like, keep us. it in the freezer. And, or, and we're and like, just, okay. So we just, yeah, we just, once we defrosted it, we were just, um, we also have a woman that, uh, comes to our neighborhood once or twice a week selling tortillas, uh, flour tortillas for $5 a dozen. She just, Buy me some next she time. Just, yeah, she just rings the doorbell and now she comes regularly. Before it was like we didn't know she when she would show up, but oh, she did. She just <laughs> rings the doorbell at seven in the morning. So if we're not up, it's like, oh God, the tortilla is here. Um, <laughs> but we get her tortillas every week. And so we just had those in the fridge and yeah, we just made chile verde like lunch and dinner. For for yeah, a few like, days. For three days. That's why I remember that you said this month, and I feel like we're in it for so many days. <laughs> yeah, because like as, as busy as we are, it's hard to like find the time to even buy the ingredients. Honestly, we go to the farmers market and just get like fruit and vegetables <laughs> for the bakery, and that's it. Um, so often we don't even have anything in the fridge, and with this, it was just like we didn't even have to think about it. You just heat it up and and eat it. So donate genius. food to uh, <laughs> to your starving <laughs> local bakers <laughs> next time you see them. A bag with your <laughs> Yeah, give them a lasagna, something they can just put in the oven and, and heat up. We yeah. got the bread <laughs> and the wine. That's a lot. Well, what did you? What have you eaten in the last month? Um, I'm gonna I go along think. the same line. Uh, I'm. He would be really upset if I told him who the bad person was. But my dude and I, we went to a family's place for Christmas, and the tamales were so disappointing. Like that kind of bummer. Like, and I was just like, no, no. And I'm. It's because I'm so used to his sister's tamales. They're like. There's a master artfulness to them. <clears throat> and his sister just, oh, her tamales are perfect. And then no joke. I don't know if she like read my mind. But two weeks later was like, are you guys free this Saturday? I've been up since 4 a.m. And I was like, yes. And so Sam, my dude, sisters, tamales like are transporting. They're like perfect and wonderful. And like they freeze well. And so she gave us a bag 
So like you, I've been eating tamales for like three weeks straight now, and I have no regrets. Not a single regret about a single one. This is so mean. We're like all talking about stuff that nobody can get unless you like just know, so happen right? to have some Mexican tias or moms. Because well, you, you brought up the month. Like I had the, like, the recent one, and the recent one, by the way, I went to Beachwood. Their Brewberry Hill, they call it, they described it as a blueberry muffin-inspired smoothie beer. <laughs> which doesn't, I love, I love Beachwood. And then, like, I was like, wait, like, what? So I started, like, nerding out, and I think it's basically, like, a hazy IPA that they used blueberries instead of, like, a more citrus forward. And you guys, it's it's straight up, like, blueberry juice, and it's so good. It, and, it's, and, and, and when I tasted it, I thought it was light, and I was like, yeah, you know, give me a pour. And she was like, it's 8%, boo. And I was like, oh, it's is an 8% beer, and it tastes like a <laughs> light. But, yeah, so Brewberry Hill at Beachwood, it's Utterly delicious. I did find out that on Thursdays, the, the new chef at Beachwood is doing fried chicken Thursdays and alternating between Nashville hot and just regular fried and all that. And I used to, when I was working at Beachwood, he was like, he was the um, a line cook and now he's the sous chef. So they're giving him some more responsibility. So I will shout him out. I didn't get to try it. I was there on a Thursday and then after I was I, ask, is it good as I don't chef know, Melissa's? As I was, that I don't uh. know. But as I was leaving, I, I was there on a Thursday and as I was leaving, I ran into the chef and he was like, hey, you should have gotten this i said well your server did not recommend it to me so i didn't even know it existed so i'm giving it a shout out um i will give another one i think i'm did i mention it to you the tri-tip birria on fourth street um, no in uh <laughs> i was just walking down fourth street just like i need to go for, for a walk and i got pulled into jerry's place you know right on fourth and walnut open at yeah. night now right Okay, that's what this is. It's not Jerry's. It's not Jerry's. It's called Brian. I think it's like Brian's Birria. <laughs> Wait, is it the one out of a, a garage? A fantastic name, if I say it's so what? myself. Fourth and what? What's the cross? It, Fourth and Walnut, like right by my house. So it's on. Yeah, it's inside in of Jerry's place. place. So Jerry's so it's like a pop up. Totally a pop up. Jerry's is only open till two or three in the afternoon. Um, yeah, he, the guy chased me down the block with like a sample because nobody, people are confused. I told him, I was like, people are probably really confused. I thought you were doing deep, you know, late night deep cleaning or something in here. Cause this place has never been open after three o'clock. Um, but yeah, it was like him and his girlfriend and then his son was in the corner playing video games and all the friends are there. And he just makes a batch of tri-tip birria, uh, from, uh, Guadalajara style. And it's, yeah, so it's like all soupy and you know, right. And it, but then it falls, it's like, oh, it's tri tip. Yeah. It does all the good falling apart. You can get it on anything. You can get it. He's got nachos and tacos, or you can just get a tortilla, like fries, whatever. Do you know you the want. hours of this? Yeah, 4 p.m. 4 p.m. Uh, and I've seen them open on the weekends a little later, like for the Fourth Street crowd. Like I've seen them open at like 11 or so, but I'd say like four to 10 to be safe. Um, but yeah, it's like, at, and he's got an Instagram. It's like at Brian's Birria or with a Y, B R Y. A-N. But yeah, go say hi to Brian and check it out because I've been uh, trying to resist going there all the time because it's like, oh, it's really close to my house. So that's my shout out. Hell yeah. At least Great I figure we should have one thing that, that people, people can, can go to. That people can actually go to. <laughs> yeah. So that they right. don't feel too bad. Let yes. Brian be yeah. your, maybe your tia or whatever you need. It sounds like he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to thank you both so much for taking the time. I know you've been up since 4 a.m. Like to go home and go to sleep. So thank you again for taking the time and coming and talking to us all about Brian. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And oh, where can people, yeah, are you willing to talk about where your yeah. spot is? Like what, how can people support you? Is Do you still have an ongoing fundraiser and we what can do. people do besides buy the bread? Yeah, yeah. We started a fundraiser mid-December and so that's been going strong. We're about halfway to our goal. Um, we're around $22,000, which is amazing and that's covered all the uh, design costs and the plans and the permits that we're getting. And so 
the rest that we that we are able to fundraise, um, we're it's just going to our oven essentially. This beast of an oven that we have to make a down payment for uh, sometime in the next few weeks. Um, so yeah, so getting that oven is going to be critical, and then we're just you know getting loans and other things in place right now. But the community support so far has been huge and. It's it's really helping us get this off the ground. So how can yeah. people find it? <laughs> oh, that's that's right. Um, MuchoGustoBread.com is the URL that we're using for the campaign. And that's just hosted on our website, too. So you can just go to our website and go to the fundraiser page um, and contribute there. We've got different rewards that like different merch items that we created or, you know, bread subscriptions and all that. So you can get something in exchange for for your contribution. Then you're chipping in a little bit towards the actual oven that will go in your new location. Literal oven. Yeah, exactly. That costs the yeah. same as a house, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, the whole project, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, I mean, folks that have come to us, like, we want to donate, you know, they they are shocked to find out, like, what an entire build-out costs for, for a food space. So Everyone is. Exactly. Yeah. So it is, it is like buying a house, pretty much the entire project. So everything that we're getting from the community is going towards these first costs, which are critical because we can't get a loan until we start these first steps. So it's all timed really perfectly so far. Like the time that we had to actually write the check to the design firm and to the city for the plan checks, like we hit that goal like a few days before we had to actually write those checks. So the community has really come through and people are just so excited that the bakery is happening and like, contributing. Some people donate without wanting anything in exchange. And we also have like pizza parties that are available up on there. So um, there's a huge range. And yeah, we're grateful for for any of it. And and yeah, want to give back. MuchoGustoBread.com. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Anna and Arturo, for being here with us today. This has been another episode of Supper Time in the LBC. Welcome back to 2020 Long Beach. Um, the Supper Time in the LBC is a production of the Long Beach Post. If you like what we do, please go to lbpost.com support and throw us your bones, buy us some coffee, buy us some beer so that we're not without <laughs> at our podcast table anymore. And make sure that you subscribe and like us and comment. Uh, nice things only, please. We will read them all. Uh, maybe on air in a future episode anywhere that you use that you use to get podcasts into your ears what did we say until we eat again till we eat again